welcome to the Dojo Talk Podcast. Please remove them shoes before entry. Sam Master is here, and you still have not taken off your shoes. Welcome to another edition of the Dojo Talk Podcast. It is Sunday, September the 3rd. A pretty, at least when I'm looking outside my window, it's like a fairly gloomy day out here on the East Coast. Uh, I am back with my co-host, Anti-Cool. What's going on, man? Nothing much. Nothing much. Uh, <sighs> not the best weekend. I hate mm. that I had to work on Saturday, so that kind of sucked. Nah, I lucked out. I got I got a three day weekend. Man, I won't. <laughs> I'm counting down till October, so I get my vacation, so I can finally get my my little week off. Hey. Um, yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna do during that week. It's probably gonna be a staycation. I don't think I'm really gonna go anywhere, but a week off is a week off. I will take it. <laughs> um, before we even get into these fights, I wanted to ask you, um, what's <laughs> What's been your, like, post-Mayweather-Connor experience, if any? Like, do you even see people still talking about it? Um, like, in real life? In both. Real, real life and, like, you know, internet, Twitter, all, all that good stuff. Uh, in real life, like, a couple people talk about it. Like, I, I've been nonstop working, and most of the people I work with are women, so they don't, like, they, and they don't follow combat sports, they don't really care. Like, I think I've had, like, one conversation. It was basically like, yeah, I, like, I, I don't know what people expected. Yeah, pretty much. Like, <laughs> like, like on the air, like, but, like, on the internet, it's been really, um, it's been split between, like, that type of attitude and, like, Connor did so well and it was, like, it was so worth a hundred bucks. So, uh, I'm, I'm happy people are happy, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's weird. Um, yeah, I've I've been seeing a lot the second thing you said of people, either they're saying like he did really well or like they're, I'm going to say making excuses <laughs> for, for his loss. And I, I don't know, I feel like for as much hype as people got behind him and I felt like they were pretty emphatic that he was going to win. You guys need to hold your L, man. Like, oh yeah, no, <laughs> dude, like fuck Skip Bayless, like. I know I rag on Stephen A. Smith a lot, uh, but like fuck Skip Bayless, the goalpost mover extraordinaire, <laughs> talking about like oh he did so great and it's like this is a win for and like no man you say he was gonna knock him out right you say he was gonna knock him out in like the first six rounds or something like that like you can't you can't change the goalpost yeah but. Uh, other than guess. that, like I, I, I guess I'm happy that people got their money's worth. Like if if you're a boxing slash Floyd fan, like you got to see Floyd go and get one last knockout before he rides off into retirement and could possibly the easiest paycheck any man has ever gotten. 
Um, and if you're like a MMA slash Connor fan, like I guess you can take heart in the fact that your guy went over and won a couple rounds against Floyd. Yeah, so I guess for whatever that's worth. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like this fight hit a really high in terms of like hype, and then the fight happened, and then <laughs> I feel like because Connor lost, like everybody's like. It's, it's, I feel like they're on the hush hush a little bit. Like, well, it's a return to normal. Like, it is. It, it is. It, it, in in like, in today, in like the modern times, like normal is such a bizarre word to say. But like, yeah, this is this is status quo, you know. Yeah. Uh, and people are just having a difficult time parsing that. I guess we were kind of right that after this fight, the world would return back on its normal axis. Things I, would move along. <laughs> I mean, I, I I can't remember who I, I think it was Dana who was, came out and was like, I, I think he said they were they would be interested in doing the Myochich um Joshua fight, and Joshua was like, yeah, I, I might be interested in MMA. So who knows? <laughs> Maybe we started a new. Like we uh, definitely did, but it's going to be like the only re- like, the only reason the Floyd McGregor fight was made is because Floyd's a star and McGregor's a star. Like they could do business in England and or the UK the I should say in Europe. Because, like Joshua is now that Floyd is officially done and gone, he is the Joshua's the biggest star in boxing. Like. I get like Canelo is I don't want to say a close second, but like like Joshua in terms of just like being a money draw, he's he's the biggest star in boxing. So it it would make sense if the UFC was like, you know, our heavyweight division, we're tapping out at three hundred million, uh, three hundred thousand buys for Stipe, <laughs> and so why not just like and we're kind of in like need of new contenders now that he's. Now that Kane might not come back, or you know, he's having trouble walking, basically, let alone fighting. Um, who else? Um, I don't think anybody really wants to see Overeem fight again. The the Overeem fight again, I should say. I don't think anybody wants to see Mark Hunt challenge for a title as long as Stevie has it. Yeah. Or yeah. like Fabrizio Overdoom is not out here doing himself any favors. Um. But I, I there's Francis Ngannou, and after him, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know maybe Volkov. Like <laughs> that was funny. Oh man, yeah, nobody. <laughs> yeah, he so, got on Twitter and said he was angry, and everybody logged off, and nobody took that fight. Yeah. <laughs> so we we have nothing in the immediate future for in for Stipe, so they're like why not use him to go make money you know what i mean so we're in interesting times and this is especially true at like light heavyweight and heavyweight where like they have these like this collection of dudes who are kind of known for like their specialty All right like um Gustafsson is a boxer like he was like on these Swedish national team as a teenager or something like that. Um, Overeem's a kickboxer, Ooh, and a you know, a uh, ADCC double uh, 
what was it European champion. Um, like Junior Dos Santos was a dude talking about I could go beat one of the Klitschko's like not even three four years ago. Yeah, that's not happening anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, but like <laughs> these divisions need some momentum. They need like these are supposed to be the money making divisions. Like we don't know if we'll ever see John Jones again. Like why not let these guys go out and like do their thing in boxing and like. I was gonna say, I feel like though more it would be MMA going out to boxing and not boxing coming over. I just Wait, feel like they're, they're not going to come over here. The, the ecosystem for boxing is so much more in favor of the like the fighter. It would make no sense for them to come into like the UFC unless they were like Andre Berto and just like promotionally, there's not really that much the like boxing boxers, uh, boxing promoters could really do with him. So, um, like Berto saying, "Oh, I want to fight in the UFC," makes sense to me. But like, I don't know. Um, like who would like David Hay saying, "Oh, I want to be go fight Jimmy Manu in the UFC." Doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah. yeah. Wait, you I, mean, I, I guess I'm cool with it. I mean, well, I would say though about Stipe and uh, Joshua. I think before we do that, I want to see Joshua and Wilder first. Yeah. And then we can do Stipe. Not that I honestly think Stipe would win, but yeah, now you'll if, if we're gonna go, <laughs> if this is gonna be a thing. You know, like yeah, I guess it it is what it is. Yeah, and yeah, you, that is right though for heavyweight and light heavyweight, especially light heavyweight. God, you, like, yeah, yeah. Like who who really is there out there? <laughs> like these guys fight maybe tw- at best twice a year. Like they all probably have massive contracts, and they're probably not bringing in the money that like the the UFC wants them to for being, like, these big dudes and being in these so-called glamour divisions? Right. Like, why not mix it up? I wonder if Tyrone Spong saw this coming a mile away, and that's why. Because he <laughs> he's boxing now, right? Yeah, he, I, I want to say he just fought not too long ago. Yeah, I feel like he must have had he must have had some foresight, and he knew that. I, I think Spong just wants to be in, like, in control of his career. Which I can't blame him. Yeah. Definitely can't blame him. But and, oh, and and okay. which is real quick. As for like other like guys from other sports coming over to MMA, and uh, like for, or boxing, I should say, uh, again, especially at those higher weights, it, it wouldn't surprise me if eventually like a world champion boxer does come over to like MMA and just wins the UFC ch- title, because that's kind of happened before, <laughs> like. There have been guys who came over from kickboxing who were just straight-up kickboxers their whole lives and are now well-rounded, like, world champion, or at least um, top 10, top 5 guys. Like, you got your Mirko Krokovs, you got your Mark Hunts. Overeem's, like, a little bit of an outlier because I think he started as, like, a jiu-jitsu guy or a straight-up MMA guy and transferred into jiu-jitsu and um, kickboxing. But it's not out of the realm of possibility, you know. Uh, I think we might have some more, uh, some more freak fights. I mean, if the money's <laughs> right, the WME will do whatever. Like if Ronda Rousey was champion, still, she'd probably be fighting like Heather Hardy or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that would not go well. Who is the? Uh, no, she'd be fighting um, 
Cindy Serrano, probably. Yeah, that's like the same weight division. Nah. <clears throat> Gotta start catching up on Spawn fights. Oh, and I guess real quick, um, I don't know if they released it yet, but because I, I know they threw out a number that Floyd and Connor did six point five, but apparently mm. that wasn't true. But yeah. I'm hearing that they're close to what the Pacquiao uh, Floyd fight was, but I, I still don't think they've thrown out like an official. Uh no. Uh, yeah, no, it's too big a number to really like get a handle on this close to the fight, even now, like a week out. Um, I th- I I believe Dana's number comes from, like international sales. So like they're they're obviously they they sold it in the UK. Like I know for a fact it was on TV in Mexico because they pushed um, Mar- uh the um, Moreno Juarez fight. Is it Juarez? Esmeralda Moreno and um, what's her name? Je- Jessica Chavez. Was it Jessica Chavez? Yeah. Um, the Jessica Chavez and Esmeralda Moreno fight in Mexico got pushed off on um, TV because they really wanted to show the McGregor Mayweather fight. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that fight got pushed back by like a month. Um, we'll see. I think they. I think they might at least match the number. I think they may match it. I don't know if they'll go over, but uh, I, like, I don't know like if they count like the UFC dot TV pay per view buys and the Showtime internet buys, <laughs> the three million pirate streams. Oh yeah. That. <laughs> oh man. I mean, I'm yeah. surprised it was that low. Right. Yeah. I, I would have thought. Yeah. I would have thought it'd been an upward. I, I guess move. most people who are interested, like you know what, I probably have a friend who is watching this, and I can probably watch in HD, not realizing there are HD streams out there. Right. Step your bootleg game up. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just wanted to just chop it up about that. Um, so I guess on to on to these fights. Um, all right, I was I was disappointed because I forgot that this was in the Netherlands, so it came. This card started at like. I don't know. I think the prelims came out like 11.30 or something crazy. Uh, it started at 11.45. Yeah. So, I was at work for like the majority of this card. And I think when I got in the house, the Renault fight was on. And it was like just ending. Like, I got in right when she got the takedown to get to... Uh, but, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that later. But, um, this main event, which I was like unusually hyped for. Really quick, just before... um. I think it's really fitting that the return, or like their first UFC card in a post McGregor Mayweather world where we're trying to return to normal is just like a very mediocre European card. <laughs> I, I think it's very fitting. Uh, this is how you, this is how, you, <laughs> this is how you draw everybody back in. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. See but our, I mean, Sierra Bardazara uh, and and Rob Wilkinson in the co-main event. <laughs> that's, that's how you get the money. <laughs> Hey man, you got you got to make that four billion back somehow. <laughs> but I mean, this card, at least from what I saw, I didn't see every fight, but it was, it was decent. You got, I think you got a good mix of some prospects, some some vets, uh, a really awesome heavyweight fight. I thought it was awesome. I was thoroughly entertained with this main event. Um, yeah, not really heavy on name power at all. I'm pretty sure most people who watched the Conor Floyd fight probably didn't watch this. And if they did, they probably didn't know anybody who they were watching. Yeah. But 
you know, it it is what it is. But uh, main event was Alexander Volkov and Stefan Struve. Um, ever since they bought Volkov over from Bellator, I was just interested to see how far he could go. And I, I believe you see, I believe you mean brought him back from M1. Because I think it was an M1. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He took right, a short yeah. trip to M1 before he came back and won the yeah, heavyweight yeah. title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he, he's been around. He's been around the block. And I, I was just interested to see how, how far he could go. And he is now 3-0? and Yes. So, he's got wins over, was it Roy Nelson? Let me click. Timothy Johnson. And, okay, yeah. And then this, uh, this Drew fight. And I feel like he's... He's he's looking better with with every fight somehow, and it's kind of weird because I felt like he. Okay, yeah, I have his record up. So he didn't leave Bellator on a good note. He left Bellator on a two fight lose streak, but then yeah, he went over to M1. Uh, he won twice. Last fight in M1 was against Attila Vey, who I did not know was even still fighting. But <laughs> aside from the point, um, yeah, this fight was just like watching the colossal titan and the armor titan from attack on titan fight in real life like just two enormously large human beings um just kind of throw down and i really like what i saw from both of them in this fight for struve like this is the most i feel like this is the most i've ever seen him at, at least in recent memory be aggressive actually use his reach somewhat like he worked his jab he was he was throwing jabs. He was throwing uh, that like jump knee to the body. Uh, he landed some really good uppercuts, like a la Gustafson style. <laughs> Both these dudes took some pretty mean shots all throughout this fight. Um, I think Volkov did a good job of like splitting Struve's guard, landing straight shots, or like if Struve would cover up, he would go to the body, or he would throw that overhand right, which seemed to be money, and he would get through Struve's guard. Um, yeah, man, they were kind of beating the crap out of each other, to be honest. And yeah. I didn't think that, <laughs> I didn't think Struve was going to be able to put on like the pace that he did. Um, I feel like he did, I don't want to say he faded, but I think in the third round, he did kind of slow down just a little bit, and I think that kind of gave way to Volkov to pretty much, I say, take over the fight. Um, oh, also, quick note: uh, how many eye pokes? <laughs> Is it three? <laughs> I, I want to say there were two for. Uh, yeah, it was three. It was three for uh, Struve because there was the one where they did the simultaneous eye poke, or like they had the hands out, and the ref was like, "You guys have to stop this." <laughs> <laughs> so like. This fight literally had everything, man. You had really good stand-up. You had some ground and pound. You had knees, double eye pokes, single eye pokes. Like, I don't know what else you, you really could have asked for. The only thing I wanted was a KO head kick, but, you know, Struve threw a head kick. It wasn't KO, but, yeah, man, this is a, this is a, a really good fight. I just think Struve started off, I thought, really good. He set a really good pace. Um, he was definitely landing a lot of good shots. He did a good job of mixing his strikes up. Uh, Volkov, I think, landed a lot of some. I think some of the cleaner shots. I don't think he was as active, but when he threw, I think he was a lot more effective with what he did throw. And he started getting his uppercuts working. A couple of times he backstrove against the cage, which always drives me crazy when fighters do that because it's never a good idea. But I think he was just kind of gassed out in the end. By the third, he just 
Yeah, he just unleashed on him with that last flurry, and it was an awesome fight. I felt bad for Struve, considering, you know, all I, like the... He's had a, a crazy comeback to get back into MMA. He was having, I think it was like a heart issue, right? Some kind of like medical issue that he had at one point. And it was almost looking like he might not fight again. Then he came back. And now he's in his hometown. Comes I wanna, up. I want to say it was like an enlarged like valve or yeah, something, something in his heart. Yes, something like that. But he looked really good. It's kind of sad that he lost. Cause I think this is the yeah. best Struve I've seen in a long time. But. Props to Volkov, man. Three and zero since uh, since coming over, looking pretty much better, I would say, in, in each fight in the UFC so far. Um, yeah, it, <laughs> outside of Struve, I'm not sure who else he fights. Um, why not making Gano at this point? Just just to give him Gano a fight. But yeah, I, I really, really thoroughly enjoyed this main event. Just two tall guys, just <laughs> just just kind of throwing down. It was it was awesome. Uh yeah, um, I think I did not realize how glacially slow Stefan Struve really is. Like, like before I saw him in there with um with Volkov, because like Volk Volkov was in there throwing like straight one twos, two ones, and um, yeah, he made Struve look like. Like Cathal Pendred. <laughs> like, Struve would, like, land, like, one big shot, but in, like, the follow up, like, in between the time it took him to bring his arm, uh, his hand back to, like, his chest or his head, like, Volkov would get off, like, these two, three punch combinations. That it would land with, like, such, like, veracity that would snap Struve's head all the way back. So that was neat. Um, yeah, Volkov is just like a really competent, smart fighter. Like for all his um, like deficiencies as like a grappler, he covers them up well, and it's it'll be really interesting to see what he does next because like for all the talent there is at the top of the division with guys like Verdum and Overeem and like Velasquez. I don't think I'd call any of them like competent or consistent because most of their losses come to like, like happen because like they, there's just like this severe mental lapse somewhere along the line. Well, except in Velasquez's case where he's just like physically incapable of um like making the walk sometimes and it, 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 it hurts him in the long run. Um, like, competency is, like, dangerous at heavyweight because the, no matter, like, how feather-fisted or, like, how much of a not one-punch puncher you are, like, you're going to be able to hurt somebody. Unless you're, like, Jared Rochelle, you can, you, anything you land will hurt. And that's, and if you're, like, Volkov, and apparently who can go rounds. Like, I, I did not know this about Volkov. Like I've seen, uh, like obviously I've seen them fight since he won the title against like what, Hale all the way back in like 2012. <laughs> yeah. Like that was not a guy I expected to fight at the pace he fought at yesterday. Um, when he well, not to date it, but like 
um, because like the hail fight was a slow jab fest where like Hill was just walking into Volkov's jab and despite having success, like he wasn't doing anything with it. it he was just comfortable just like putting the jab in um Hale's face for the twenty five minutes. Um Yeah, he's a way better fighter than the dude who lost to uh to Congo and Johnson and uh Minikov. Granted, the, uh, those losses came because the other guy would take him down, and I think Struve is just physically incapable of like shooting for a double. He's just way too big and way too slow. <laughs> he tried. He he went for like one takedown this fight, and yeah, it didn't. Him even shooting for a takedown just looks weird. Yeah, like, the, like yeah, like he has to crunch down into like a tiny ball just to right. be, <laughs> just to be below the ma- the other man's hips, and. Volkov's like six seven, so you know, like if he can't do it on Volkov, he can't really do it on anybody. Yeah. But um, I, I've been I, like I, like I said, I wasn't very big on Volkov when the UFC first signed him. I, I wasn't big on him when he was the champion. Like I thought Minakov would run through him, and sure enough, he did. But he, he's won. He won me over with the Johnson fight because I really thought Johnson would be the dude to just like. Oh, he's gonna muscle him to the ground and throw him around, and eventually just like put him away, because that's the type of dude Johnson is. But um, no, but no, he he put on a really solid performance and won that fight. Like did the obvious thing and just out kickbox Roy Nelson for 15 minutes, and then he comes out here and he, he knocks out Struve. Like, if there's an argument for getting rid of the uh the upper limit on heavyweight, like the 265, it's Struve. Because the, the dude is just not a range kickboxer. Like, I, I know his frame suggests that he is. I I know that um everybody wants to see him turn into this, like, Vitaly Klitschko-style fighter where he's just, like, jabbing, uh, jabbing and crossing the entire time and marching dudes down and everything. But that's just not him. Yeah. He's he's a firefight guy. Like, he, he needs to be in the pocket. He needs to be in there throwing elbows and muscling dudes around and like I, I like especially here it was pretty like he's not that strong in the clinch and I think he's because he has to cut weight to make two sixty five. I, I think I heard I, I can't remember, but I think he walks around like close to like two ninety, three hundred. Jesus. Like yeah, like yeah, he's a big guy. <laughs> and I wanna see him without um the weight limit. I, I want to see him at like 300 pounds because I think that's where he fights best. Like he's already slow, he he's already not a range guy. So like, why not let him like throw guys around the clinch? Like just get swollen, just throw dudes around. All right. Plus, like all that weight cutting and all the damage he takes can't be good for him. Like, this man has been in the UFC for what? Uh, since 2009. Yeah, she's been in the UFC for eight years. Like, he does not need to, he he does not need to be cutting weight anymore. Like, God, his first fight was against JDS. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's not fair. That's cruel. Yeah, and, and, and like even his like all his wins are like these wars, except for like the ones that happen quick. So. Plus all these heart problems and everything like that. Like, uh, if there's a point, like if there's a argument to get rid of that limit, and I know it's for 
uh, it's for forcing guys like Mark Hunt to come in in shape. It, it's Stefan Struve. And another line of note on Struve. I mean, he is the lineal heavyweight champ. <laughs> it doesn't work like that because he didn't win it. He didn't beat Stipe when he was actually champ. Yeah, that's true. Because if the, if that's the case, then um, uh <laughs> yeah, like who who like, he went out and immediately lost it to uh, Mark Hunt, the the lineal title. Oh, we never talked about. Uh, did we talk about how Floyd retired with the uh, the Brawl for All Championship? He's the lineal WWE Brawl for All Champion. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah. He, he took it from McGregor. So, <laughs> make of that what you will. Hey, man. <laughs> That's awesome. But, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at these rankings. So, we got uh, Volkov at 7. And the only people in front of him are Derek Lewis. Shout out to Derek Lewis for doing all that work he's doing in Houston. So we got Derek Lewis, Mark Hunt, Francis Ngannou, Velasquez, Werdum, and Overeem, and then of course Stipe. So does Lewis has a fight lined up, right? Um, I want yeah, he's fighting Verdum. Yeah, so we got Lewis and Verdum. I don't know what Hunt's doing nowadays. So in the UFC. Alright, so yeah, he's probably <laughs> he's probably not available. I mean he's fought twice since like the the lawsuit began, so I'm assuming he's he's just good to go. <laughs> Velasquez who's just out being yeah. Oh, Hunt's fighting Tybura, I forgot. He's fighting him in November. Okay, alright, yeah. So he's tied up. Velasquez is just MIA. I think they want to give him the title shot. I mean I, I, I would love to see that fight, but yeah, we we gotta see if he can even make the walk. Um, I know where Overeem is. I, yeah, I feel like at this point for Volkov, like, I mean, if you're going to give him somebody ranked ahead of him, which I would assume you would want to do, and, and Ganu might be the only, might be your only choice. It's Ngannou or Overeem. Yeah, it's Ngannou or Overeem. I th- which I, I, I give him a fair shot against Overeem. To be honest. Oh yeah, yeah. Sadly, <laughs> it's it's almost weird even saying that. But yeah, I definitely would give him a fair shot at Overeem. Actually, you know what? <clears throat> I almost would rather see the Overeem fight. Actually, I don't. I don't know. Because then, if you, I mean, I, I really want to see I'd rather, I'd rather see this. I rather they do the Ngannou um, Overeem fight, but they might need one of them to fight Stipe. So you never know. Yeah, maybe doing Ganu Overeem. Keep keep Volkov in the wing somewhere. Maybe give him. I don't know. Probably wouldn't make sense like ranking wise, but there's somebody in the top fifteen you could throw at him again. And then I mean heavyweight's so thin anyway. I feel like rankings and numbers. What what are they even anymore? Like <laughs> for heavyweight, so yeah, it's like um freaking what's his name? Uh, Michelle Pizarro's fought on this card and he improved to like seven and two. If he was a light heavyweight, he'd be like a top. Six seven guy, just based off that record. So, like, rankings at this at this weight hold no weight at all. Yeah. But yeah, it is what it is. But 
great uh great performance from from Volkov. Really good showing from both of them. Really great entertaining fight and the tallest fight literally that you will ever watch. Um, so yeah, if you guys whoa didn't whoa whoa, uh, who did Pierre Ayers fight though? So didn't he fight Schultz? Oh no, he did. Yeah, Schultz like. He's not seven foot though, is he? Mm. Yeah. Uh, wait. He is a really big dude though. Uh, well, Ayers is only like um, six four, so I don't know why I thought he was taller. He looks like it. She'll she'll some she'll some mammoth of a person though. <laughs> He's got to be close <laughs> to seven foot. But yeah, this this is a really really awesome entertaining uh main event. Um, co-main event, which I'll be honest with you guys, somehow I watched this fight twice, and I don't remember <laughs> much of it. <laughs> For some reason, like this fight just didn't stick with me. Like when I walked in the house, like the Renault fight was just ending, and then it got to this fight, and literally the first thing I noticed was like, "Oh, Cyrus fighting," and I was like, "He looks a bit chubby. Like, did he not make weight?" And then they said he was fighting at 185. Well, I guess at least for this fight. I don't know if he's going... He already called out Matt Brown, so I'm assuming he's going back to welterweight. Okay. But yeah, I was I was looking, and I was like, yeah, there's a little extra going on in that midsection over there. It's looking very, uh... It was looking really BJ Pennish back. <laughs> but, um... I feel like this is kind of a, a sire fight in a nutshell. Um, he, He's one of those dudes where when he fights, you kind of know what you're getting into. Um, We're going to throw punches... Until one of them lands and you get knocked out, <laughs> and the the other guy's job is to not get knocked out. And I mean, Rob Wilkinson put up a, a valiant effort, but uh, he got TKO'd. Yeah, I can't really go into detail because I don't remember like even what the finishing sequence was. I just remember a lot of punches and Sire just <laughs> just doing what Sire does. Yeah. No. Like the the, the only thing that could have made this a Sire a Sire fight is if he had just like taken him down and just like ran, like held his head down with one hand and just punched him with the other. <laughs> like he's a violent dude. Like um when Bahad uh Bahadazar uh God, I wanna say his name right. Uh when uh Bahad uh Bahadazar first got to um, the UFC, he was actually like one of the top prospects out there. Like I think he was like listed as like one of the top five welterweight prospects going. Yeah, he was out there sleeping, dudes. <laughs> oh yeah, no, uh, he, this is a dude who fought like for the um, it was in like the Sengoku tourner- tournament, and he only lost like Jorge Santiago and uh, Mizaki. Uh, so, like, yeah, he had a lot of hype behind him. Um. Yeah. That, that he got in the UFC in 2012, and he's only fought one, two, three, four, five. He's like his fifth fight in the UFC. Like injuries and stuff, it just kept him away from the sport, and it really sucks. Cause I don't know. Maybe he would have turned into somebody who could have challenged for the welterweight title. But um, like the finish. Uh, this fight was Rob Wilkinson throwing punches and then ducking as opposed to like trying to move his head or like getting out of range and CR just throwing uppercut after uppercut after uppercut until one landed (laughs) 
and just like hurt him, and that was the start of the finishing sequence in the second. That's all I remember about the fight, to be honest. With you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's that's probably pretty much what the fight was in a in a nutshell. But uh, good to see uh see our fight again, though. Yeah. Um, and him him versus Matt Brown, I'm I'm all for it. Hey, um, that's some funky ass violence. That is definitely. Actually, quick note on TR. I thought it was an interesting thing they mentioned during the commentary. Um, so apparently, because he, he trained at uh, Greg Jackson's, so they did some kind of like, um, I guess some kind of hand-knock coordination test with everybody in the gym, mm -hmm. and apparently he has the fastest hand-knock coordination in that entire gym, which is crazy considering the people that train there. Yeah, like I, so, I figured it'd be somebody like Dotson. Right. But, yeah, so shout-outs to him. He's putting in work, and hey, it's, it's working, so... <laughs> Uh yeah, shout outs to him. Shout outs for the finish. Actually, this card had a pretty decent amount of finishes. Some really fun finishes too. Um, this next fight, uh, Marion Renault and don't miss her name, Talita Bernardo. So this was, I think, Talita's debut, correct? Yes, she was a late uh, replacement for Jermaine, uh, Jermaine Durandamy. Okay, yeah, I knew this fight had somebody else that was supposed to be. Um, I mean. Props to Bernardo. This is a tough, uh, it's a tough debut against a vet. Um, she did show some good things though, because I think they mentioned. I, I guess she's more of a jujitsu slash like grappler. Yes. Um, she did manage to get a few takedowns, but I kind of think this fight just came down to mm. Marion's a vet, and. <laughs> she just felt like she just wasn't gonna be denied this W. Like she was constantly in Talita's face, throwing punches, and she wasn't afraid to go on the ground either. And like I feel like even when Talita took her down, like she wasn't able to get a whole lot off. And yeah, I just think it just kind of came down to experience, and you could tell like by the third round, man, Marion was just kind of just marching her down and just kind of doing whatever and it was weird the last the last sequence of this fight reminded me or i don't remember if it was the last sequence it reminded me of um uh was it the gastelum it was a part in this fight where toledo was on the ground and like marion went to take her back and i don't know if she was just trying to like protect her neck i don't know she didn't move yeah no like, I, I remember. <laughs> yeah no she, she just stopped fighting yeah, like, she just stood there. She just took it. She just, like, accepted it. And... It's really funny, because we saw um, a similar back take in, like, the the beginning, uh, towards the beginning of the card, with uh, Zabit um, uh, Magomed Sharapov yeah. taking Mike Santiago's back. Basically the exact same way, but just, like, a lot smoother. And with Santiago still putting up a fight. Yeah, it's, it's so it's so weird to watch moments like that because it's like well, she was gassed, Bernardo. Yeah, she was she, she was done. Like she yeah, was, it, it was. Yeah, she was sucking air in this uh, in the second round really hard. Yeah, and Marion just kind of marched her down, and yeah, man, eventually got the pounded her out with some pretty brutal TKO. Was that her first? I think that was like her first finish. I think at least in the UFC. No, I want to. She finished um, Jessica Andrade. She submitted her. Okay. And Milana Dudieva. Okay. So. But, but yeah, she, Marion looked, uh, he looked pretty good, man. Just pretty aggressive, in your face, well-rounded pretty much everywhere. And, yeah, I think Talita just kind of got overwhelmed and 
out conditioned, but I mean, not not a bad performance for a debut. Debut. There were you know things she can take away from that fight. You know, go back, study, definitely uh try to scramble when you're <laughs> on the ground. That, but she's throwing a strike too. Like she is a really bad striker. Yeah, she she got a. Yeah, she definitely got. <laughs> she 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 ate some shots on the feet. Like her yeah, her was... posture, her stance, like her just like she was just like completely willing to let Mary Renault just walk her down without like any, putting up any type of fight, putting any punches in her face whatsoever. Uh, yeah, it was that was really bad. But she um she was still getting takedowns in like the third round. Now she was tired. Like the whole sequence about her going um. The whole sequence at the end of the fight was not based off a takedown that she like landed, but um, she's the one who brought the fight to the ground in the third round. Like Renault just kept it there. Um, I, I'm not sure if like if that's a worrying sign about like Renault's takedown defense. I know she was training for a, a kickboxer, and I, I doubt Jermaine Duran like. I don't think Jermaine Deronomy's ever shot a takedown before. <laughs> right. So uh, I'm not sure if this is like, oh, I haven't trained. I, I've basically been doing no wrestling for, or no defensive wrestling for, um, for like three months or, you know, or, 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 or takedown defense is just that bad. I, I, I don't know, but she, uh, she looks really, it's really heartening to see like a 40 year old improve. Cause she is forty, um, and she's still out here like getting better between fights. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, I feel like in <laughs> like I don't know if there's even really a difference, but I feel like in in men's uh, MMA, yeah, at forty, you're not really getting better. Like, uh... Yeah, there's only like a handful of dudes who do that. It's like Joe Warren and Yoel Romero. I think Yoel doesn't count. He's a <laughs> he's a superhero. He's just not like the rest of us mortals. Like Yo was blessed by like the old ones, <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah, man, Marion looks. She looks. She looked pretty good. What's her? Where is she at in the rankings? Is she top fifteen? Yes, mostly. Be, well, not mostly because, but like in part because just like twenty five women on the bantamweight roster. <laughs> and that number's gonna go down when flyweight fights start getting booked more frequently. So okay, yeah, they have her at eleven. Yeah. How is Rousey still ranked? Because she's not gone yet. She's only she's not officially retired, and she hasn't been gone a year yet. So I think that's the logic. But by that same logic, like Nate Diaz is ranked sixth, and it's been over a year since he's fought. <laughs> Like but, Ally and Quinta, wait, wait, wait! It was Ally and Quinta who was still like a top ten lightweight while he was like retired, or something like that. It was something ridiculous like that. Hey man, they they were taking into account his real estate skills, <laughs> man. But yeah, she's at yeah she's at eleven. She's got Alexis Davis ahead. I feel like a lot of these people ahead of her. Like I just haven't seen in forever. Like, Alexis Davis, uh, did she just fight or? Well, her she's fought, but then they got Liz Carmouche at nine. I feel like I haven't seen her in a while. Like, yeah, Liz Carmouche like just straight up disappears for like months on end, and like she's somebody who I expected them to like not push, but have out there frequently. 
Yeah. Yeah, she hasn't fought since UFC 205, and that was in November. Like, it, it's just in, She was technically the first woman to ever be in the octagon. So. This division's weird. <laughs> this, is, this is really weird. Especially, like, when you get to the middle and, like, the bottom half of the top 15. Yeah, like. Caitlin Chukagan is ranked in the is ranked in the top fifteen. Like Caitlin Vieira, who's fighting Sarah McMahon next weekend, is ranked in the top fifteen. They're just women who picked up like picked up two wins in the OC and all of a sudden they're in the top fifteen. Which more power to them, but like that tells you how frequently these like this division gets booked. And just like how few women there actually are in it. Like com- who compete regularly? And I mean, it really sucks. I guess for Renault, I mean, you're at eleven, but I mean, realistically, you, you string together maybe like two or three wins, you you probably shoot up pretty fast. Good if you can she, keep a, a good streak going. Like realistically, she's one fight away from title shot. Right. Like you are never that far from a title shot in this division. Yeah, and especially like if you can get a finish. So if if you can keep that up, I mean, hey man, forty year old champion could realistically could happen. I mean, I I don't know if uh, I'm not picking her over uh, Nunez, but you know, like she she could find her way at least in in the picture somewhere. Um, and I guess for Toledo, uh, For, pretty sure she'll fly away. Fly away, uh, yeah, <laughs> or that. <laughs> Yeah, that that division needs to hurry up, man. That that division but needs to. They, they're starting to book fights, so I'm happy about that. Like Beck uh, Rawlings, Joanne Calderwood is at one twenty five. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I think that division is gonna <clears throat> shoot up really fast. Like it's not gonna take long to get some bodies and get some really entertaining fights going. But it will freaking drain the crap out of bantamweight. <laughs> Hey man, we we got straw weight. <laughs> it'll be all right. We'll we'll we'll. It's gonna take some bodies from straw weight too. It will, but I think straw weight. Like, I think straw already, weight's deeper taken than like three top fifteen fighters. <laughs> the thing that like I think straw weight's deep enough that like yeah yeah it won't matter yeah they, they, yeah I, I don't say it won't matter because they, yeah they're gonna lose a lot of really great talent but like they'll still be up and comers. They'll they'll still be like that. Who's next person that can maybe take the mantle but yeah for bantamweight yeah i'm not i don't know you guys might end up being the new 205 you know really top heavy and like the top three and then after that it just kind of i mean even the top three because like valentina's gonna leave so, like if <laughs> valentina can't beat nunez there's no reason for her to stay at 135 and she can go down to 125 with relative ease like she, she is Easily the smallest woman in the top fifteen. We'll see. It's crazy how fast this division blew up, and then it just like deflated, <laughs> like not too long after. But props to Renault. Really good. Uh, good performance at forty years old. Still out here getting it. Um, and the last fight. Cause this main card was only four fights, but we'll definitely talk about some of these prelims also. But uh. Uh, Leon Edwards and Brian Barberina, which I watched this morning. Um, surprised to see Edwards do so much grappling in this fight. <laughs> a lot of uh, really? grappling, 
I didn't. I don't know. I thought it was going to be more on the feet. Well, but then... Edwards last like three or four fights. He's just been like completely into this wrestling thing. Like the waiters fight, the Tumanov fight, the Luke fight. But then I, I guess it kind of makes sense because Barbarina is one of those dudes that I feel like he, on a smaller scale, he has that Max Holloway effect where it's like the more you hit him, it seems like it helps him somehow. <laughs> like, yeah, it, uh, like Barbarina doesn't slow down. And yeah, it definitely showed because I, I think Edwards, I, I gave him the first round and then he was doing pretty good in the second. I mean, he he was he was striking, but he was definitely going for takedowns, uh, clinching up against the cage and whatnot. But uh, Barbarina caught him with a nasty step-in left uppercut in that second round. (laughs) The way, like, Edwards' legs just kind of did this really weird... I don't know. It looked really weird. He he, he did this really weird stumble to the ground, and he he was almost out of there. But props to him for for getting back into the fight, because, God, that uppercut just kind of came out of nowhere and just kind of dropped him. And, uh... But nah, he cleared the cobwebs pretty fast. I was impressed because by the third round, it, you wouldn't even have thought that he got rocked. And um, yeah, I think he just kind of won this fight. I, th- I think he's just kind of more, more athletic. He controlled more of the fight. He was pretty relentless with going for takedowns, even if they got stuffed. He was seemed pretty content on that being his game plan. Um, and outworking Barbarina, I think, is a feat because the dude is just an animal. Um. Not a not a overly great fight, but not a bad fight. It was you know it had it had its moments. The uppercut was definitely my highlight. It, it was <laughs> it was just funny the way his legs just kind of buckled when the uppercut happened. But yeah, really a solid solid performance from both dudes. Good win for Edward, showing he can recover, um, showing his his grappling skills are, are definitely there. And yeah, he's pretty pretty well rounded. So it's a pretty pretty solid fight. Yeah. Um... Edwards doesn't handle pressure and volume very very well. Like he he's a he's very much like a pot shotter. He'll throw one or two like really big strikes at a time, and then kind of just like not fade off, but uh, he'll just kind of just like go about to like he'll just wait for his next turn basically. And that's pro- that's like that's why he got dropped here. Like Barbarina, uh, he hit Barbarina stood there, like, he expected Barbarina to, like, back off, because he hit him as hard as he could. Barbarina didn't, and just kept throwing punches, and, and like, eventually one landed and hurt him, and, yeah, he, he almost lost the fight, basically. And I, and I think that's why he's become such a, like, a, so heavily dependent on his wrestling. Like, I think the Uzma fight really got to him. Um, Uzma just pressured him, and took him down, and it was not, it, it wasn't just like Usman went out there and out wrestled him. He outboxed him by pressuring him, and instead of like adjusting his striking game accordingly, he's become very dependent on the wrestling. And I'm not sure how high up that will take him in a division like uh, welterweight, where like. Gunnar Nelson is not a good enough grappler to be champion. You know, what, you know what I mean. Like, right. there's Maya, there's Woodley, there's a whole host of other people in front of him who are going to be able to um, to out wrestle him. 
he's going to have to strike eventually. And if he's not making strides in his striking game, I, I, I don't know what his ceiling is. Yeah, and, it definitely doesn't get easier. Yeah, like, I, I don't know if he can beat a Donald Cowboy Cerrone or a Jorge Masvidal if he has to like if he has to um resort to wrestling with them. Shoot. Even even a cowboy, not Cowboy Cerrone, but the other cowboy. Oh yeah, like Alex Oliveira. Yeah. <laughs> like who's just like a mammoth of a freaking fighter who can just like out muscle people even though he's not like technically the greatest grappler ever. Like and I, I'm I'm not like I'm not trying to be all dour and like say like Edwards will never be a contender. He's only twenty six and he's uh, like he's obviously thought about his game and he's making improvements, but I'd really like, I, I'd really like to see him mix it up with the striking and wrestling more. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, work one into the other. Uh, he's, there are definitely some tools there though, and yeah, being twenty six, I guess you do got time to improve. But yeah, the thing is, yeah, in welterweight. You got time to improve, but God, the top fifteen. I mean, all right, at fifteen we got Safadine, who, eh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like for um, for for Edwards, like that's a still that's a tough fight for Edwards because Edwards is not a volume guy. Edwards isn't like we say he's not he's a he's improved so much with the grappling and like the wrestling, but he's still not a great grappler and wrestler, and that's normally what it takes to take Safadine down. So all right. But then, like, went, ahead of Safadine... Yeah, so it would be like a pot-shotting contest. So... Yeah, and I mean, depending on what Safadine you get, you know, that might not be a... You might not walk out with a winner. You might lose, like, a really close split decision. But, like, a, yeah, ahead of Safadine, you got Cowboy Oliveira, Usman, Stun Gun, Gunnar Nelson, Dos Anjos, who's looked pretty solid at welterweight, <laughs> Ponzinibbio, Kobe Covington. Like, it just doesn't get easier. At all. Yeah. So, but with all that said, still a, a pretty solid performance. Um, and at 26, he's still got, you know, still got time to, to work his game. And I, I think at least, like, welterweight's one of those divisions where, like, even outside of the top 15, there's still, like, solid people you can throw him against that I think he can learn from. Still good matchups for him out there. So, um, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how... I think he can crack top 15, because to be honest, I don't think Safadine's going to hold this 15 spot. Uh, much longer, yeah. <laughs> much longer. So he, he could definitely sneak in there. Um, so that was the main card. Uh, only four fights. Pretty pretty solid main card. Capped off with a, a pretty good uh, main event. Uh, but on to some of these prelims, uh, <laughs> which were pretty entertaining. Uh, Darren Till... And Boyan Velikovic, if I'm saying that right. Some some along that line. Um Man, Darren Till, this is a fun guy, uh <laughs> to watch. Um, was it the first round he landed that step in elbow? Yep. Man, like this dude <laughs> he's really fun though. He just looks like when he's out there. Really both of them in this fight. Props to both of them because they I feel like they both were pretty bloodied up. They were both landing some pretty good shots, but like Darren Till just looked like looks like when he's out there, he's just having the time of his life. Like he's just kind of out there throwing shots and just having fun. Like the straight left was money. 
he's he's a pretty pretty accurate striker and not out there wailing a whole ton of punches that are just hitting air. But God, that step in elbow he landed was beautiful. And I mean, props to uh Velikovic for not like he he survived that and managed to go all three rounds in a, a fight where he ate <laughs> a lot of just really solid shots that probably would have put a lot of people out. Um yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see like Till's another one of those guys where like I'm interested to see what his ceiling is because there's a lot there's a lot of positives going on <laughs> with this guy yeah. like, like it, there's some really good upsides. Like I like to call Till like the, uh, Conor McGregor light because they basically have the same game. It, yeah, it's to march you down uh, and like get you to commit to something and then throw the left hand. Like right down the pipe, like his game is basically just like landing that left hand, and that works for him because he's six foot tall and he has like a what a six uh, six foot two inch two and a half inch reach. Like, of course that's going to work for him, and he hits hella hard. But like, he's going to lose rounds. That like that's his problem. Like. The thing Connor go, has going for him is he fights at like this like really ridiculous pace, and know that hurts him when like fights go late. It also helps him put guys away. Like Till was Till, like he he picks and chooses a little too much. Like, like yeah. it feels like he's waiting for that perfect shot a little too much. He doesn't follow like he had Velikovic on his back twice in this fight because he hurt him so badly. Like he actually dropped him. And he instead like the first time instead of just like trying to unleash a ground and pound, he turns to the referee and complains about the fact that um like what he says like Bojan's like holding his uh, yes he was holding his glove and like he's really literally just got his like laced over his wrist and everything and he's just holding him down and like he's not trying to fight out of that instead he's instead he's arguing with the ref like that's not something you do. Like, take that opportunity and get the guy out of there. Like, he's, like I said, he doesn't fight at a pace where, like, he's meant to win rounds. Like, it it, it works against the Bojan Vlitkovic of the world because they're not, like, good strikers. They're not, like, like, like Vlitkovic's whole game is literally just takedowns. Like, pressure boxing and takedowns. How does Darren Till deal with somebody? How does Darren Till beat uh, take rounds with somebody like um Wonderboy or Don Cerrone? Guys who are like built to take rounds, right. like they're not just hurting you; they're winning rounds in the meantime. So, it, like Till has all the skills and all the like physical gifts that you could want in a fight at a southpaw. But um, like mentally, like his approach is just not all there yet. Yeah, he's definitely got some some holes. I, w- I would like to see him against not not a, like a top fifteen, maybe not yet, but maybe like uh, maybe like a, a, a like an Alan Joban kind of guy, like some somebody. Yeah, like, like Joban, um, Tim Means. Uh, like just somebody who is built to uh, like a decent striker who is good at winning rounds. 
Yeah. Like. Uh, and somebody who will push back in his face. Yeah. That won't. That won't. That won't, <laughs> that shy won't away. get back down. Yeah. Yeah. Ten means actually. Yeah. That would. That would be a fun. <laughs> that would. That would oh, be a fun. I, I'd love to see him fight the leech. Yeah. Or that. Anything. Yeah. Somebody who's just not gonna. They're not gonna shy away from a fight, and they'll take it to him. But I mean, dude's only what twenty four years old. Is he? Like, damn. Like. Yeah. He's not that old. He's. He's still fairly fairly young. I think according to this page will load. Yeah, at least according to Sherdog, Dog, he is 24 years old. That's right. He so, yeah, I remember, he signed, with the, he signed when he was like 22 or something. Was like, yeah, so at 24, man, dude has some, he has a really high upside. It's just to see if he can put it all together, but definitely a lot of a lot of positive there. Yeah, he is kind of a, a Conor McGregor light, but yeah, man, that, that, this was a really, really fun fight, man. But a lot of just back and forth, probably more so in Till's favor. But uh, no, no quit in uh, Velikovic. He was he was hanging in there as as many times as he got hit or got dropped. He, he kept coming back in the fight to try to get back into it. But yeah, definitely uh, Till is definitely a guy to to keep an eye on. Um, speaking of guys to keep an eye on, <laughs> this next fight I've, I've watched this KO like five times. Uh, Merbeck Tasumov, if I'm saying that right, uh, versus Felipe Silva. Um, man, this KO. Uh, fight was only a minute and 24 seconds. Uh, this fight consisted of, wasn't really a whole lot going on. I mean, Felipe rushed a couple times, and I think at one point, Merbeck threw this wild, like, overhand right that didn't land, but he put, like, the force of God behind that punch. <laughs> <laughs> like, you could just see how strong he can hit if he does land, which we definitely saw. And the ending sequence was, I think, Felipe blitzed with, like, a 1-2, and Merbeck kind of just covered up, stepped back, took his head off the swivel, threw a nasty right hand, and... Yeah, that was it, man. Felipe just he he took that trip to the afterlife, and um, yeah, he didn't know what happened. He just got knocked. He yeah, <laughs> it was a KO in every sense, and yeah, man, that that this was a nasty just one hit a quitter pretty much. Um, lightweight is scary, man. Like <laughs> like the top forty lightweights are scary, like. This this division is just ridiculous. It's and not to go off on a side tangent, but it makes it even that much more frustrating that lightweight is such in limbo because Connor hasn't defended yet. But it's just like everybody from one to like forty is like a killer. Like but even the new dudes are coming in and just just murking people. Yeah, but like dude, this is Tysonov's fifth knockout in a row. His, I want to say, sixth UFC win in seven fights. Why has he, like, why is he fighting Felipe Silva on the undercard of a, like, a European, um, like, card? Like, the the dude should have been fighting top ten competition. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and should have been on the main. He should be on the main yeah. card taking souls. Oh yeah, like, he, he, yeah. like <laughs> this fight deserves to be on the main card over, like, Marion Renault, um, uh, Bernardo. 
even CR uh, and freaking Rob Wilkinson. Like, Tysonoff should be a top fifteen dude. Yeah, I'm looking at his matchup. It's really weird because I feel like like they they keep giving him like Marcin Bendel and like yeah Anthony Christianulu. <laughs> And I mean, like, I get the first couple fights because you, you know you're not gonna just throw a guy straight to the wolves. So I, I get like maybe your first two or three, but like after the Marcin fight, like you should have been fighting somebody like I don't know, even like Evan Dunham, somebody, anybody. Like, there's so many people at lightweight. You you could have like this like three of this man's five win, last five wins have been Anthony Christian Dulu, Marcin Bundell, and Demir Hadzovic. Hadzovic. Had heads of it, yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure two of those guys are making their UFC debuts. Like, I, I don't get why he's been like relegated to this status, unless it's like a visa issue and he can't get on American cards, and like they can't find somebody who'll take a fight with him. But even then, they should be able to get somebody who's not new. Like, I, I don't know if he's has fights lined up where like he. His, in his post-fight interview, he's talking about, like, oh, Michael Kiesa said he'd fight me, like, three wins ago if I knocked the guy out, but then he, I haven't heard shit from him since. And Anthony Pettis said I wasn't famous enough for him. And he's like, Nate Diaz said he was fighting me for, like, $20 million in my hometown. <laughs> but he smokes too much. <laughs> I don't know why he thought the Diaz fight would happen. <laughs> apparently oh, apparently Diaz said he'd fight him. Yeah, twenty mil though. We all know that's yeah, that's not happening. Yeah, twenty twenty mil. <laughs> yeah, man. Like there are a lot of just fights at lightweight, and then man, I mean, you got dudes like him out there. You got dudes like Lando, and oh god, what's the guy Lando fought? Uh, the kickboxer. God, Taylor. Guy's name. Yeah, Taylor. Like Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, like guys like that, man. These guys need to start being pushed more into like that top 15 range where they're starting to get some names instead of pitting them against each other because i mean it's not like they're not fun fighters like you throw them on a card you're gonna get guaranteed violence pretty much yeah so why not push these guys well, you know there's a thing there's this thing like featherweight like you go down the featherweight and you have um guys like god who's the dude uh that dude elkins just murked before Ber- uh, bermuda's uh, Bectic. You have Bectic, you have Knight, you have Choi, you have, um, to us, uh, to a less, uh, oh, Rodriguez. Like, you have all these dudes who are young, they are exciting, they're really good, but there's just, there's this weird experience gap where, like, guys like Alamis or Swanson or Elkins or, uh, a Stevens or something like that. Can it just they just exploit them and they're able to get wins over them. Like featherweights, uh, like doesn't have this like fifty fighter gap between like the top uh, 10, 15, where like these guys are just hard nosed veterans that these guys uh, that the other guys can go and like get a test against. Like yeah. there is no Gleason T bow at one forty five. I I guess the closest thing you'd have is like Jeremy Stevens. But even Stevens is like a step too far for some of these dudes because he's just way more experienced. All right. So you have got all these other, like all these young uh, featherweights like just losing fights. 
like lightweight, you have the luxury of having a hundred dudes on your roster, if you want to call it that. And there's just, there is there are fights for them basically. In the interim between, you know, fighting a um, a Tony Ferguson or Anthony Pettis, and like you can go fight um, now not Drew Dober, but like a Benil Darius or something like that. Yeah. So it's interesting. We'll see. I feel like after this knockout, man, you, you got to give this guy a step up in competition and just, you know, see what he can do. See if he can see if he can take a, a soul from, like, a, an established veteran or something like that. But, yeah, nasty, um, really nasty knockout. <laughs> so if you guys didn't catch that fight on the prelims, definitely go watch that one. Um, I can't comment much on this next fight because I didn't watch it. Uh, Michelle... Perseres and Mads Brunel. Um, I just know that it ended via north-south choke, which is something we don't see very often. <laughs> so, shout-outs to uh, Perseres for, for winning that. Did you catch this fight? Uh, yeah, it was... Um, Brunel got taken down... I'm, I'm struggling to recall in my head. Uh, Trator basically couldn't strike with uh, Brunel because... Well, it's not that he couldn't strike with him. It's just that Prezeras does his best work when the other guy kind of like gives up ground and Brunel refused to. So like it was just um, Prezeras taking him down, like going the simplest route possible to victory before getting the north-south choke in the third round. Like I don't remember much else about it. Like nice submission, I guess. <laughs> hey man, it is what. Yeah, it's it's a choke that like people try and like they'll get position for it, but. Yeah, you never really see it be executed. So I guess yeah, shout outs to him for actually actually pulling it off. Um, this next fight, I was actually interested to see this matchup: uh, Rustam Kabalov and Des Green. Um, in a, in a in a weird way, I, I can't say they're mirror images. They're both like decent strikers, not great, but both have really good grappling. Um, my God, Kabalov is a strong. <laughs> this dude is really really strong like that uh that like belly to belly suplex he did in the first round i mean even though he didn't really i don't think he really did anything with it because i think that's got right back up after it happened but um yeah this dude is absurdly strong with his grappling yeah no um, like kabalov is like he's a tank basically yeah yeah like he he landed that suplex. Pretty sure on one of his slams, he lifted Dez off the ground. Um, Dez is one of those guys who, like, when they signed him, he's another guy I was interested to see, like, what his ceiling will be. Um, I think a lot of times in his fight, and kind of in this one, too, that, like, he has moments where he does well. He's not a great striker. Um, I just feel like sometimes it's just his output just isn't there like no he's yeah no that's the problem with both of them (laughs) yeah like i think kabbalah just won by just being a bit more busy and even though like kabbalah is not a great striker either like he just he just threw more and then i i think he probably got the better of the the grappling exchanges but like this was a winnable fight i think for des like he could have won it's just he 
there just wasn't enough offense there. Yeah. And I mean, I guess he did he did good on defense. He didn't eat a ton of strikes. Like he didn't take a ton of damage, at least from what I remember, but you know, you, you gotta throw to win. You gotta and I mean he was trying for takedowns, but like Kabalov just it's a strong man. Yeah. <laughs> Not somebody you get down easy. Now, I don't think... I mean, he got a takedown, I think, at the very, very end of the fight. But by then, it was, you know, kind of too little, too late. Um, but, yeah, man, good. I guess uh, solid win for Kabalov, showing why his his grappling can always keep him in a fight and win him a fight. Because dude is just absurdly strong for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> like, ever since... Uh, we got, I think we had a bad first impression of Kabalov. When he um the the, the his first three uh well, two fights his third fight was pretty telling of uh, the Yancey Medeiros fight the uh, uh Vink Pichel fight the is it Vince or Vink I'm gonna say I think it's, I think it's Vink <clears throat> um but like those are really I don't say bad but like <clears throat> um untruthful. Like the suplex uh, uh, finishes, because yeah. it, it it became pretty clear like he was not a active fighter. Uh, he's not somebody who's gonna go out there and like do volume and like do work and stuff like that. He, he's a guy who will um he he wins fights in spots basically. Like he won the Jorge Masvidal fight. Because he threw that jump spinning wheel kick that caught Masvidal. <laughs> like at the like, and that's what won him the fight. He went he won on a big moment, not on like a body of work. You know what I mean? And um it's really weird seeing him matched up in like the UFC because they matched him up with like Des Green and Nore Masvidal and uh, Norman Park and Chris Wade, like these, <laughs> these dudes who are like kind of known for not doing much, like they they win fights by like doing the least amount possible. So he's kind he's, he's kind of out here proving that he's the best of that type of fighter. I say it's just weird because I, I feel like if I don't know, like I feel like if he adjusted his game more, like he could be a top fifteen guy. Well, this is like, him adjusting his game though, like. Like I, I think he came into the UFC or, or his whole game prior to being in the UFC and maybe a little bit into it was like based off of like big offensive moments and the Benson Henderson loss where he gets uppercutted into like and dropped and like then he gets submitted was a, a not so much an eye opener but like a real a realization that that's just not going to work at the highest levels. So what you gotta do is you gotta slow the fight down so that you're always in control of it. And the only other time he's lost since then is the Adriano Martins fight, a fight in which not a lot happened that he arguably could have won it because it was it was a split decision. It could have gone either way. Like sometimes they'll catch up with him, but unless he's fighting like a really good wrestler who happens to be like a really active striker. Like he has, I'm not saying advantage, but like there, it's it's gonna be tough to beat him. Yeah, it's just weird because like you look at his record and like he's fought like solid 
competition. I mean, yeah. Yancey Madero, Samazvidal, Bendo. You got, I mean, you got guys like Norman Park who aren't like top fifteen, but you know, like Norman Park, Chris Wade, Leandro Silva, like competent like fighters. And I'm wondering because he's only what one, two, three, four, five fight, one streak. So I, I, I wonder because he started off in the UFC three and zero, and then they threw him to Bendo, and then we saw how that went. So I'm wondering now he's on a five fight, one streak. Do they try to throw him against another, like maybe not not a, like a big name, but you know, like a, another staple match, I guess uh, I, I would call it, to see if he can maybe try to crack that top fifteen. Do, do they do like a like if I know if I think about how they've done matchmaking before, like do they give him Michelle Pizarres? Like, right. <laughs> like, again, another fight with like a grinding type of fighter. I don't know. It's 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 weird, but I mean. I feel like with his skill set, I think he could crack top fifteen. I don't know if he'll get far after that, but I mean he he was he was ranked in the top fifteen after he beat Masvidal or yeah he was up there yeah I forgot yeah when he fought Bendel yeah they both were ranked pretty uh ranked pretty high but yeah like the dude is just he's a tank of a person and while he's not a great striker he does still hit pretty hard yeah so. he, he hits hard enough where it slows the other guy down yeah where they're not going all max holloway on them and just throwing like 30 punches at them a, a minute i don't know we'll we'll see what uh what they do with him next and yeah i think for des green it's just like he could have won this fight yeah he definitely could have won this fight like if he like yeah michael johnson was in his quarter just screaming like pick it up be first, throw something, be aggressive, <laughs> don't back up. And he just, like, like, uh, um, what, uh, Patrick Wyman and, uh, Connor Rebush over at the Heavy Hands podcast have this term called, um, a young veteran for, like, guys who are basically learn via just going out there and getting fights. So you have guys like Jorge Masvidal and, um, Gegger Musasi, who have like 50 fights before the 30. <laughs> and a large part of their game is just learning to slow, not so, like learning to slow the fight down and not take damage. And I, I think that's a lot of what's wrong with Des, not wrong, but like what is inherent with Des Green's game. But, um, like it, it hurt Masvidal and to an extent it hurt, um, Musasi. But they've both found ways to like pick it up later in their career with their activity. And I'm not, uh, like Des Green. I think he made the first, the right step moving back up to lightweight. But we, we're still waiting for him to like pick it up a little bit with the offense. Yeah. Yeah, but like, yeah, like Des Green is a young veteran. He's a guy who he did not learn like, like yeah, he has a background in wrestling, but he didn't learn. MMA by like going in the gym and like doing fight. Well, he he didn't learn by going in the gym. He learned by like just being active. Like this dude has fought like six. Like the first year this dude was a pro, he fought seven times. And like, honestly, and to his credit, like looking at his record, he's fought really like solid competition. Oh yeah, no no, no question. But yeah. like a large part of like what happens when you take like forty like thirty forty fights before you're 
you know, dirty is like you learn to survive. You you learn to you learn that if you're going to make if you're going to fight every two months, you got to have something in the tank. You you know what I mean? Jesus, yeah. In 2014, he fought. Mike Richmond, Will Martinez, Daniel Weichel, Miguel Torres, and Stephen Sala, like back to back to back to back. Oh yeah, no, like this this dude is a tank. Like Des Green is just out here taking like fights left and right. Like this has been like his least active year. I'm sure it's probably eating him alive. No, so yeah, because before this, he his last fight, yeah, was the Emmett fight. That was in April. Yeah, but like. Yeah, like a large part of green, a large part of like being a, uh, like a young dude who takes a lot of fights is you learn to go round, like you learn to go rounds. Like you, ha- you have to make it. You have to. A large part of it is you feel like you're winning if you're um, if you're not taking damage. I guess yeah. the, and a large part of Green's game has been that. Add in the fact that he's a wrestler and he couldn't really get um, Kabalov down. Oh, it's like. Yeah, it was not a surprise that he lost. But dude's only twenty-seven. Definitely got uh, time to get better. Who did he? You know who he trains with? Um, I know he used to train with TriStar. I'm not sure who he trains with now. I mean, well, I guess if you got Michael Johnson in your corner, you're probably doing something right. So maybe, yeah, maybe he's down at the um, new Henry Hoof gym. Yeah, so Florida. I just think with a few, you know, few little adjustments that he could still. I mean, he's still a good fighter, but he he definitely has room for improvement. But I'm I'm pretty sure he'll hopefully he'll he'll make some strides the next time we uh the next time we see him. Um, it's all about activity with him. Yeah, well, <laughs> at this rate, he'll probably fight again by December. I mean, he lost his fight, but I don't think he took like a ton of damage really. So yeah, yeah, wouldn't be surprised if we we see him back real soon. Um, this next fight. I also can't really comment on because I did not watch, but this is also a fight I did not watch see much of. But um, Alexander Rakic takes a decision over Francis Barroso, and I want to say Rakic just kind of outkickboxed him for like three rounds, like some solid stuff, but like nothing crazy. Yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah, I didn't. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I saw I, I saw nothing, so I can't. Uh, I, can't like, I, I remember you saying you didn't see it, and um. Like I, I I thought about for me. I'm like I didn't remember this fight at all. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this next fight, which I literally watched right before we started recording, uh, Zabit uh, Magomed Sharapov and Mike Santiago. So, what made me watch this fight actually? Because I wasn't gonna watch this at all. So I was on like the homepage of Sharedog, and um. One of the articles just happened to be like in my line of sight, and they were showing like who won bonuses, and I saw Zabit's name on there. I was like, "Oh, he won a bonus. Well, he must have did something good." And I was like, "Well, let me just watch like a round of this fight to see like what happened." And I watched a round of the fight, and this dude is throwing spin kicks, jump kicks. <laughs> he had the the Pettis action going on where he literally jumped off the cage. The dude was throwing just all kinds of strikes, just. Out of the wazoo, and Dude, it was, like that doesn't even give it that like that whole like um that whole like, sequence justice. He like he he isn't hit, but he throws like a spinning back like a jump spinning back kick. Sees that like Santiago's like doubled over and like like backing away, runs up the cage, 
for the, for the Showtime kick misses, and that Santiago Santiago realizing that like he's going to be like disoriented tries to get hit a double leg, and as he's coming down, like the beat like bridges, so that Santiago ends up nowhere near his hips. Like dude's a yeah, freak. He's a really entertaining striker. <laughs> like, just a lot of video game strikes that are just aren't really supposed to happen. I can't remember that. Did he drop him in the fight at all? Um, I, I want to say no, but he did hurt him with like this beautifully timed uppercut. Yeah, like yeah, I knew he landed something pretty hard, but yeah, this this dude, man, he's definitely entertaining. This this was an awesome. Uh, think was this his debut? I think. Yeah. Yes. Not uh not uh, a shabby debut. <laughs> not but it's worth it's worth noting, um like he he's done work with like uh, Mark Henry and Frankie Edgar. And they've been singing his praises for since like January. Like Mark Henry's like, yeah, he's like a top five fighter. <laughs> and I think uh he called out um was it Lobov? He called out Featherweight Champion, <laughs> Artem Lobov. <laughs> Hey man, at this dude. point, <laughs> I don't care. Why not make it? But yeah, dude, like we like we talk about striking. Like, his grappling game was really good, like just really smart, effective grappling. Like there, there was a point in the um in, in the second round when they're on the ground and like Santiago has his arm. It's not deep or anything. It's like it, it's it's a it's a simple um double wrist lock uh, wrist lock, and uh. Like, he's going for the Kimura, and, like, uh, Zabit literally just applies pressure so that his arm naturally just slides out of the Kimura grip. And it's amazing. Whatever whatever they're doing with him at that gym is is working. (laughs) Yeah, he is, like, just a very well-rounded athletic fighter who looks like he should be working at, like, a smoke shop. Yeah, (laughs) like... That was my first thing, like, when I saw him. He is not, like, a physically intimidating guy. Like, he's not really cut. He is really tall, though, for a featherweight. He's, like, 6'1". Yeah. Which is really weird. But, like, yeah, just really skinny. Not physically imposing at all. But, yeah, when you when he starts throwing hands and feet. <laughs> yeah. you. you... It, it's worth noting Santiago did buzz him with a wicked body kick in the first round. And it did hurt him for like a good second, so that might be um a future point of attack for like his uh, for like guys yeah. down the road. He's a guy but, that yeah you I feel like to beat him you, you're gonna have to like pressure him. You can't give him space to to work the shots that he just can seemingly throw out of nowhere. Because if if you give him yeah. an inch of space, he's just <laughs> you're gonna get lit up and. Yeah, poor Santiago. Like he probably just had no idea what was happening. Like you don't, you don't train for strikes like this. Like this dude was just throwing stuff that you just. It's like, what is this? <laughs> like you're not supposed to be doing this right now. But yeah, man, featherweight also another division where there's killers all over the place from the top to the, the new guys that are coming in. Man, like a really exciting division where there's never ending violence wherever you look. And I'm all for the low ball fight. I don't care. Who cares about rankings? <laughs> I, I mean, I yeah, I don't think anyone's yeah, ranked anyway. So, so why not? So, so fuck, so fuck <laughs> it, do it. And yeah, man, see if the coach is right, man. See if he, see if he's a top five. I don't say he's top five, but 
Hey, man, at the rate he's going, if he can keep up what he's doing, I'm, I'm pretty sure his ceiling's, uh, his ceiling's pretty high. So, uh, yeah, shout-outs to, shout-outs to the beat, man. That was a, an awesome performance. Um, I can't even remember if I watched this next fight, to be honest. This might have been the other one I missed. I know I watched the Holbrook fight, but, uh, Abdul, Kareem, Edelov, and Bohan, uh, Mihovic, if I'm saying that right, uh, Abdul won by TKO. I feel like I watched like a second of this fight, but I don't think I was paying that much attention. All right, so I'm just I'm gonna lay my biases on the uh, out. Um, fuck Edelov. Like just straight up fuck him. Fuck everybody in his <laughs> camp. <laughs> well, you do. He's Kataraz. He's Kataraz cousin. Oh, okay. Yeah, so like, yeah, so like I, I, every time he's out there, I hope like the most violent thing happens to him, because they are all terrible human beings. So uh, I'm gonna just start off there. But th- he looked better than I thought he would, to be honest with you, because I can't. It's been like I haven't seen anything of his since um since the UFC announced that they were gonna sign him. Or that he announced that he was signed to UFC, and um, I don't remember being all that impressed. Like a lot of his fight nights and Akmat stuff is because he's like a lot of those matchups were in his favor because he's Kataraz's like cousin. And he gets financed by like the actual Chechen government to go train and be a piece of propaganda for them to put up on like a pedestal and be like, look at the might of the Chechen people. So, um, I, like, I wasn't sure how much of his, like, stuff from actually fighting for Akamut Fight Show and Absolute, or ACB was, like, credible, I guess you could say. But he, he looked okay here. Like, Bojan um, God, Bojan Mohajlovic was literally brought in to be fodder for Francis Ngannou. <laughs> and, um, and he's straight, like, straight up, he's like a welterweight in, like, he's like a welterweight or a middleweight or something. Like, I have no idea how this dude was fighting a heavyweight. But, um, like, for what it was worth, like, Edelov did what he was supposed to do. He outstruck uh, Bojan, kept him in the cage, took him down, and finished him with um, punches from the top. So, Good for him, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can say. Didn't see it, so, yeah. Yeah, so, if people want to know why I hate, um, at all, I've, go watch the, uh, what was it? Was it Real Sports? Huh? Uh, Real Sports did a whole documentary on Katarov and how he uses MMA for propaganda in Chechnya. And, like, his whole political situation and why I actually hate Katarov and everybody associated with him, including Magomed Biblatov, who I think is fighting next week. So, or sometime in the near future. So, it's a very horrifying look into uh, Chechen MMA. Well, like I said, fight is what it is. I can't comment. I didn't really watch it. And be honest, I, I watched yeah, the last yeah. fight, and I honestly don't remember much of this either. 
But uh, was it T-Balt uh, Goatee? Was this his? Not his debut, was it? No, it was like his fourth fight, but it's no, his sir. first win. <laughs> yeah, he, like he fought like he got knocked out by Chad Lapiz and submitted by like T uh, T Lu Pakalin and um oh was it Oliver Aubin Mercier? Like yeah, so he's had a rough go of it in terms of competition. But, uh... He was gonna say he looked, he looked, he looked pretty here. decent. Uh, got a TKO over Andrew Holbrook. Um, I feel like from what I remember the fight pretty much mostly took place on the feet. Um, yeah, he looked pretty solid. I mean, nothing crazy to really take away from it. Um, I honestly don't even remember the ending sequence, which is bad. I don't have much else to really say about this fight, but I, I just remember like it was I, a I solid will... performance. A lot of them standing on the feet, um, him being a you know I guess a pretty competent, uh, pretty competent striker, um, ate some hits but you know didn't really get. I don't think he got rocked. I don't know. I, I don't remember. I should probably stop trying to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna be quiet. The, the moral I, of the story is he I won. I will say. I will say. Do, do you remember that Holbrook beat Ramsey Nijum? Beat Ramsey oh Nijum. Where is he at? Quotation marks. Uh, he was just on the tough thing, the 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 um the comeback season that Jesse Taylor won. I don't think he. Yeah, I don't think he did well because he wasn't <laughs> in the. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, he beat Julian Lane though, so that's something. Oh boy, but yeah, I guess solid fight, but yeah, no, no, to say about that fight. But I mean, overall, I thought this card was was pretty pretty solid. Like, probably we say this a lot. Like, even the cards that don't have like star power in terms of names, you know, they can still turn out to be pretty decent cards. You get a, a decent mix of prospects, veterans, uh, a heavyweight main event that may end up meaning something in the future. Well, I feel like every heavyweight fight in the top ten means something because you need challenges all the time. So, you know, Volkov, this may end up being a setup for a pretty big fight that may come for him soon so yeah, yeah like if if you miss the card fine you, you miss much like maybe go watch the Strew Volkov fight but um like if if you sat down like me at like 12 o'clock and sat there for five hours like you, you, you had a good time <laughs> yeah pretty pretty Most, uh, mostly pretty decent mostly. um at least, at least most of the fights had the decency to end. Right. Yeah. Like, early. Yeah. So. It wasn't wasn't a, a drag to get through. And I, I guess it helped that even if the car was long, the main event, I mean, the main car started at 3.30, so you still had a whole evening ahead of you by the time it was over. Um, I guess real quick before we get out of here, because uh, next week, September 9th, Mighty Mouse, Ray Borg, going down in Alberta, uh, Canada. Uh, UFC 215. Um, got this card pulled up. Got some pretty, some pretty, pretty decent fights on here. Oh, really quick before we get into this, you want to know something horrifyingly terrible and what? funny? You remember Tim yeah. Hague? Yes. So the um, the Alberta Athletic Commission, I believe it is, and I want to get my facts right here. Or the Edmonton. Um, athletic commission. Uh, they postponed 
the investigation of Tim Haig's death and the like the response to it until after UFC 215. Wow. Yeah. So make yeah, of that what you will. So they didn't like start that like right after that happened cuz that um firm to infer that I, I I'm not sure Cause I mean, I mean, it's not like it's been years since it, but that, like that fight happened a, yeah. a, a while ago. Like, I feel like you guys should have. Did I think they ordered the third party review and it was set to begin, but they're not re- beginning it until after the um. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I found it here. Um, brother of Tim Hay criticizing City for delays investigating Boxer's death. Like, yeah, there, there's been some delays. Yes. Yeah, here is the Bleacher Report article. Um, Edmonton to report on UFC fighter death after UFC leaves Edmonton. That's just misleading. That's wild. That's gotta suck. Like, especially like if you were a friend yeah. of me or like a family member, and they're just like pushing his death to the side for. What does the third party thing have to do with? You know, that's probably a whole rabbit hole, but. Oh, um, I, I think they ordered the third party to do an investigation into it. I, I don't know why. Like, I don't think they wanted it to be internal. I think they wanted it to look like they were doing, like, well, the like, most. That, I guess that I get, but, like, I don't get what the third party, uh, what, like, what do they have to do with the pay-per-view? Like, why can't you do both of these? Why can't both of these things happen, like, at the same time? Like, I don't see why. I, I'm assuming they think it's bad business sense like Edmonton really wants the UFC to come back like it's like I think they're one of the like the few like I don't say major but like one of the few markets that like actively courts the UFC so much so that they'll take a Demetrius Johnson title fight yeah you know what I mean so yeah I think this is just not to step on the UFC's toes or anything that's that's uh, that's unfortunate yeah, so uh, before we get into the card, I just wanted to talk. Uh, I just wanted to mention that because I thought that was yeah, horrifying. A, it's not a good look, but I guess uh, on to the, the the main event. We got Mighty Mouse Johnson going against Ray Borg for a what record breaking eleventh title defense. Eleventh consecutive yes. title um, defense. Demetrius Johnson going to do it in like just <laughs> under five years. So we got that fight. We also got uh, uh, part two of Nunez and Shevchenko. Uh, unfortunately, Francis Ngannou won't be taking any souls, but hopefully we hopefully we can see that guy again soon. But, I mean, we also got Dos Anjos and the Magni, uh, Gilbert Melendez coming down to 145 to fight Jeremy Stevens, Cejudo and uh, Wilson Hayes, uh, Ari Latifi, Tyson Pedro, uh Oh, get to see Gavin Tucker again. Gavin Tucker and Rick Glenn. Hey. My namesake. <laughs> so, yeah, like there's some pretty uh pretty good fights on this card. Um, I guess real quick for predictions. Uh, how you see this main event going? Johnson, Johnson by um oh. knockout. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <ugh>. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've been vocal that I've. I'm I'm not the biggest Mighty Mouse fan, but yeah, I'm gonna go uh, Mighty Mouse by 
I won't say knockout. I'll say TKO. I think he'll uh I think he'll end up taking him to the ground. As much as Ray Borg is just like this crazy just animal of a grappler. <laughs> it's really entertaining to watch. Probably because like, I don't think Bray Borg's that good yeah, off his back. So, like he's a decent scrambler, uh, a good, a great scrambler. But like Johnson's great at keeping yeah, guys on their back. So. Like that's the only really part of this fight that I'm interested to see how like how these grappling exchanges will go. Just because Ray Borg is just just really ferocious with takedowns and scrambling, and just he does really really well in like in that aspect of his game. But like outside of that, I don't see how he really wins this fight so um i'm gonna say i'm gonna say maybe it goes two rounds i'm gonna say maybe johnson takes him out in like the third um and yeah probably breaks the uh, title defense record and probably won't get much recognition from the ufc for it <laughs> they, they've done a really bad yeah. job in this fight <laughs> to say the least like, i didn't but, i didn't start but, seeing commercials for this fight up until maybe like a week ago and knowing that none of them were during like the UFC on uh, the uh, the Fox yeah like review like the lead into the pay per view last uh, last Saturday like none of them <laughs> yeah it was matter of fact I didn't I, I have UFC app on my phone and it has like the upcoming live events and it literally skipped it for the <laughs> Rockhold ranch uh, fight wow. Like it wasn't until like yesterday when I went on there that UFC 209 was even mentioned. That's that Dave Branch star power. <laughs> That's that Demetrius Johnson, Amanda Nunes. Um, yeah, that's hostility. terrible, man. And yeah, uh, Nunes have singles. Probably this is gonna be an awesome fight. Um, yeah. As much as I've seen Shevchenko improve. It's really hard to bet against Nunes at this point. Um, I think, though, for all intents and purposes, like this could potentially be like a fight of the night, at least contender. Um, I think I'm gonna go Nunes though. As, as awesome it would see it would be to see Sevchenko win and thus possibly get a trilogy out of this fight. Um, I don't know. It's it's hard to bet against Nunez, so um, I'm gonna go Nunez. Um, I think this fight will last a while, though. I'm gonna go like round four, and maybe Nunez will get a stoppage. But but I wouldn't be surprised if Shevchenko somehow won. But yeah, I'm I'm yeah. If, if if I have to pick, I'm gonna go like Nunez, maybe like round four TKO stoppage, something like that. Um, yeah, I, I'll go with Nunez early. Like, I think she's able to get, um, to get Shevchenko out of there early this time around. Like, she's, uh, like, uh, as much as Shevchenko's improved, I think, like, Nunez has become just, like, more... I, I think Nunez has become, um, more capable in her power, like, just enforcing her game on other people. Like, she folded... Uh, Tate and uh, Ronda, so maybe not good barometers for like somebody like Shevchenko, but like if Nunez gets her, it takes her down again and just gets on top of her and just starts wailing on her, like she did in the first two rounds of, of their first fight. Like, 
like there's no reason like Nunes couldn't stop her in that first in those first uh, two rounds yeah. the first time like a little longer and she might have actually won the fight uh, like won it outright that way so I think she gets it done this time like I think that's gonna be the game plan take her down beat her up from the top uh I guess real quick before we do uh pardon shots and shout outs uh Dos Anjos and Magni <laughs> oh excuse me hiccup uh who you got in this fight uh, Dos Anjos. Yeah, like I want, I got Dos Anjos, but I don't know why I have like this eerie feeling that somehow like Magni will find a weird way to win this fight, even though. I, I do. Magni could totally take down Dos Anjos and just like beat him from the top, like he did with uh, what's his name? With like Gastelum. Is Magni's? He's a weird dude. It's like. The arrow normally points that I shouldn't pick him, but he finds ways to win fights. So, yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with Dos Anjos mostly because I think at welterweight he's still pretty much a workhorse, and I don't think like Magny will be. Magny's not like a huge welterweight. I don't think he'll like overpower him or anything. And it, I mean, he's yeah, I mean he's tall, but. I don't know. I, I feel like Dos Anjos will find a way to work around it. And I think if we go to, like, skill and technique that Dos Anjos has him beat. But I don't know, man. Crazier things have happened. Magny's pulled off some pretty wild yeah. wins. So <laughs> if, if somehow he pulls this one out, I honestly wouldn't be surprised. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to roll with Dos Anjos. But, you know, I'm, I'll be, I'm, I'm intrigued with that fight. It's an interesting matchup. And sets Dos Anjos up interesting if he wins that, like, ranking-wise. So... Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens, but um, we're about an hour and forty five minutes in, so I guess we will get around to uh, parting shots and shout outs. Um, uh, I guess I'll just give my parting. I only got one. Uh, I'll give my parting shot to uh, Yana Kunitskaya uh, for beating uh, Raquel Palalui and the Invicta Twenty Five. Uh, main event, which unfortunately I didn't get a chance to watch. I knew there was a card I forgot to see this weekend, and this was the one. So, um, shouts to her um, for winning the main event. Uh, pretty much people probably know her now, at least from the two Tanya Avenger fights. Um, so yeah, props to her for getting, uh, for getting that W. That's pretty much all I got for part shots. Couldn't really think of anybody else. I, I did manage to get two. Um, so, the World Boxing Super Series kicks off next week. Um, Alexander Usyk, former uh, Olympic gold medalist, top top cruiserweight, will be fighting a uh, former world champion Marco Huck. Or is Marco Huck the champ? No, I don't think he's champion anymore. Um, but that'll be next Saturday. Um, it's the quarterfinal, so like there's two of uh, there'll be the three other quarterfinals in the like between now and um beginning of November, I think. Um, if you haven't seen Usyk fight, he's a 200-pound man who moves like he's a 130-pound man. He, he is he's very mobile, very, like... It, it, it's... He, he, it's light years between what he's able to do and other cruisers are able to do, so it's always fun to watch him fight. Um, at, least for, at least for me. I know other people who don't, because he's not he's not like um, a Dennis Lebedev who will just, like, plant his feet and throw bombs, but it, it should be fun. And um, I kind of ragged on HBO last week, or at least I did about um, 
the fact that they don't really like they lost like half their or like sixty seventy percent of their um the roster because ESPN took them, but they have like the best card of the year next week. Uh, Roman Gonzalez will rematch against uh, uh oh god, Sisrakek Sor Rungs Visai. I hope I pronounced his name right. Um, Rungs Visai is the guy who took Gonzalez's um zero from him. He gave him his first loss. Um, that was on the undercard for the Danny Jacobs uh, Glovkin fight, and that was one of the. It's one. Uh, their first fight was one of the best fights of the year, so it's really cool. It's really good to see them have this rematch. Um, we'll see if Gonzalez can really overcome like his size size disadvantage. And like, I thought he won the first fight, but I was not surprised that Rungs Fasai won. Um, but that should be a great fight. Um, now Naya Inui will be making his U.S. debut. He's the guy everybody wanted to see Roman Gonzalez fight. He is one of the most entertaining boxers out there today. Uh, super flyweight. Um, at super flyweight, he is king. Do hits like a Mack truck. Um, he's like I think he's like twenty two years old or something like that. He's like really young, and uh, if you ever wanted to get into the younger, uh, the lower weight classes, I should say, he's the guy to start off with. He's 13-0 with 11 KOs. It's going to be awesome to see him fight on the U.S. soil. Like if this card was in New York, I'd probably actually go up and see it. So there's that. And uh, on and the last fight on that card is the Estrada um, the Estrada uh, Quadros Quadros fight. Um, Quadros is the dude who gave Gonzalez his first fight at Super Flyweight. It was a, a Great fight, one of the fights of the year last year. Um, and Estrada's the one of the few dudes who's been able to take um, Gonzalez to decision. It was a fight that a lot of people thought he actually won. It was a, it was highly competitive, probably besides Rungs beside the most competitive fight of Gonzalez's career. And it'll be awesome to see them all fight on the same card. Uh, if you're a bo- if you're a boxing fan or you're like on the fence about boxing, there's a card to go this is a card to watch so if you're not watching UFC 215 for whatever reason there's plenty of other uh small guy violence going on that night so check it out oh sucks I don't have HBO but (laughs) and and there are ways (laughs) yes there are other ways to watch oh and I guess real quick our our backslash boxing streams I'm just saying I was going to say one more quick shout-out I, I forgot to mention. For whatever it's worth, uh, Ben Askren, uh, who I feel like we just don't see that often anymore, uh, he came out of the woodworks. He defended his 1FC welterweight championship against Sebastian uh, Kadistan. Uh He won by doing what Ben Askren does. I don't think I really need to elaborate. Um, was it the first round? I think it was the first round finish. No, second round. Second round. Uh, second round TKO. So, whatever that's worth. It's a cr- it's a crying shame. We'll probably never see Ben Askren for yeah. Jamie Amaya. I, I, I gave up on him coming over a long, <laughs> long time ago. But hey, man, you're out there in Asia getting your money. Hey, do do what you got to do. But um, yeah, that's uh pretty much it for today's episode. Um, as always, you guys can listen on YouTube, SoundCloud, 
Google Play, hopefully on iTunes. Uh, winkity wink, you guys will get back to me. <laughs> How long has Man, it been? Man, it's been at least like a month. And I've Googled it, and some people have said, like, it's sometimes, like, it dep- it's weird. Like, some people get, they'll get notified within, like, the next day, but then other people have to wait, like, three weeks, four weeks. So, I don't know, whatever. Maybe I'll find a customer service number and go yell at somebody. But,. Uh, I check my email every day. I never get the notification I'm looking for. So, but <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying really hard to get on iTunes. So I don't know, man. If you guys are listening, harass them on Twitter, man. Tell them to put me on iTunes, man. I'm trying to work out here. But uh, for now, on YouTube, SoundCloud, Google Play, hopefully on iTunes in the future. Um, got this episode. Of course, you guys are listening to. Um, I have a another music-related episode that would have came out today but i lost the episode which is another story but i'll probably re-record that so um for anybody who knows the uh, rapper marlon craft i'll be reviewing his uh album and some other projects and i will talk about that horrid death note movie that i watched but i will save that rant for the pro for the podcast um but yeah that was not a good watch but i'll get into that later <laughs> but <laughs> anywho uh it's been fun uh Oh wait 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 when when okay since since you're here when are you gonna review seventeen um hold on seventeen seventeen why have I heard this and I can't why am I blinking out oh no oh Thanks. no <laughs> <laughs> oh god you know I've never I've heard more about him like outside of music than like I don't even know if I've ever heard any of his songs. Well, maybe I haven't. I just didn't know it was him. I listened to like one of his songs. Oh god! Just, I, I don't. It was just like, um, but apparently there was a riot at a free concert he no showed <laughs> last night, <laughs> and they had to tear down oh. the crowd. So, uh, yeah, for you guys who don't know, what we're talking about uh, XXX uh, Tension or whatever that guy's name is. Tension, uh, man. I might, <laughs> just out of curiosity, I might give. I am maybe maybe not the whole album. Maybe if I can find it on like YouTube, maybe I'll just browse through a couple tracks. And you, you don't want to listen to some emo I mean, rap? Eh, why? Why not? Just urban <laughs> emo rap. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe, maybe since I got to re-record my podcast, maybe I'll throw that in there. I'll listen to a few tracks and see if he makes me want to rip my headphones out but <laughs> either way more content coming ufc 215 next week um also i'll be um pretty i think i mentioned the last podcast uh if you guys don't know what samurai shin is um it's like an indie manga slash uh it's a really dope project i'll just go in real quick uh it's an indie manga i can't remember the creator's name um but it's like a manga but it also has like instrumental eps and stuff attached to it so I'm going to like review that as a whole. It might take me a while because I need to read both mangas and listen to the EPs more. But uh, that'll be fun, hopefully coming within the next couple weeks. So things things are moving. Things are moving along. Content's coming out. Uh, so make sure you like the Dojo Talk uh, page on Facebook. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Serial Sensei. And uh, yeah, that's about it. So as always, anytime people are being kicked and or punched in the face, we'll be there to talk about it. And hopefully we'll catch you guys soon. Peace.